This week's episode is proudly sponsored by Sims International. Sims International are a specialist memory distributor and trusted partner for IT resellers, system builders, OEMs and IT service providers. Head to sims.co.uk today to speak with an expert about understanding, selecting and sourcing your memory needs. A slight, slight, slight time warp going on here. But um, for those who don't know me, I am Nicole Pierce Turner. I am the host of That Engineering Chat, which is a podcast show that we're delighted to be joining with EDS Reconnect and EDS and Subcon this year. And we are really excited to be doing this with EDS Reconnect, a live interview. And we thought we've got to, got to talk to someone that's really gonna you know keep you guys interested in what we're talking about here and get you excited get your juices flowing so we thought let's talk to someone sam rogers <laughs> you check him there sam yeah rogers from gravity industries welcome sam thank you very much how are you very good yes uh, we've been uh, we've been out testing um, but now i'm back in this lovely uh, lovely white room okay. uh, but yeah very good. Very good to be with you. So you're you're from Gravity Industries, Sam. You're it's the the additive design lead and one of three jet suit pilots at the British engineering company Gravity Industries. Is that right? That's yes, right? that's right. So Gravity builds the the jet suit, which is essentially a five turbojet engine powered suit that you put on one on each arm and a backpack, and that allows you to take off and fly, kind of like Peter Pan. Uh, but it's it looks a lot cooler than Peter Pan. Um, but yeah, so that's what we do. I, I'm the design lead there. So everything that you kind of put on your body and wear, I design with the team at Gravity. And over the few years of being involved with this, um, we I learned to fly as well. So I, when we go and do events, I'll go and um, actually you know pilot the suit. Um, and we have a, a, a a few team members who can go around to these events and actually do the flights as well. So it's quite cool that when we do fly. You've not only kind of designed it, um, but you can also fix it if something goes wrong because we built the thing. That's, I mean, that's pretty. I mean, a jet suit pilot. That's not only does that sound really exciting, but it's literally like a real life rocket man. You're literally. <laughs> I mean, do you, you explain what it looks like. It's 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 an engine strapped to each arm. Doesn't do it justice. I mean, can you elaborate a bit more? I mean, you've sort of explained it a bit, but literally when you design it, what, what, you know, how big is it? Where? It's well, the best thing is I do the uh, I, I show you pictures of Instagram because I've not got a PowerPoint today. So there you go. This is what it, this is what it is. If you imagine a, uh, a backpack, two arm mounts, and it allows you to fly. Lots of people have seen this on social media, um, but essentially five turbojet engines. So there's one one in the backpack, and then one in each arm, uh, two in each arm, and that yeah. allows you to take off and fly. So it's just creating enough thrust that yeah. you can actually throw enough air downwards that it counteracts your weight and you're able to take off. And there's also a helmet. So there's the helmet. I mean, what tell us about the, you know, what does the helmet do to help with the flight? Is there data in there or anything? What, what does that do? 
We, we've tried it a lot. We've tried heads-up displays. So when you see Iron Man or something, you, you, you have that lovely, cool-looking heads-up display, which is designed by an excellent graphic designs team uh, with like horizon level and destination and all that kind of stuff. And we've actually tried all of that. And really what you want to be focusing on doing is flying rather than looking at all of these crazy data, uh, this crazy data and calling people and all that stuff. It, it's just kind of confusing. So we've tried loads of different things like looking at your speed, your location, a map, all this stuff. But really all you need is something like a you know, phone size thing here that you can look down at, you know where you are. But the, the only thing we really now use the heads up display for is a little arrow. Um, yeah. And imagine, imagine like a video game. You've got that arrow above above the character, and it points to where you're supposed to be going. That's the best thing. It just points to where you need to go, and you follow that arrow. So the best thing with that is to keep it simple and not clutter up your visual field. So what? Okay. So take me back to the beginning, please. What? Where? Where? Where did you? When did you decide that this is what you were going to do? You were going to create and make and design jet suit pilots like where did this come from is this always a dream is this something you thought about as a little boy was it something you did at college what how did it all how did it all begin uh well yeah i didn't just decide i wanted to do it i didn't even know this this uh, you know role or do, doing any of this would exist really um but when i when i was very young uh, i my granddad taught me to make gunpowder um, as, as you do, as when I was about seven years old, um, he, he, so he taught me to make gunpowder, which is probably a terrible decision. Uh, but I then started making fireworks with him. Um, he, he taught me how to mix, you know, all the different recipes together to make different colored fireworks. So I burnt my fingers a lot. Um, but I, luckily I was kind of allowed to experiment with building these fireworks and blow, blowing stuff up and things going wrong, going right. And then kind of gaining a tremendous respect for fire and high energy systems and things like that. So from there I went and built and the kind of rockets rather than things that just go fizz and bang. I'd kind of build little rocket motors, fly model rockets. I built a lot of radio control planes and flew those and I'd kind of build, design and build my own ones. Uh, and with all of those projects, oh, I'd also do a lot of filming and uh, I kind of made my own camera equipment like a steady cam and things like this. So all of the projects I did, whether it's little radio control planes or rockets and things, I'd always film it or photograph it. And I just had this massive backlog of all these photos of these kind of fun things, lots of which had failed, lots of which had worked. Uh, well, no, few of which had worked, lots of which had failed. Um, and I just had photos of all of them. And so when it got to the point where I was uh, like a, at school and university and stuff like that, where, when you could, um, I could just bring up these pictures of all these things I'd built. So uh, I started working at a metal 3D printing company um, because I just had built all of these rockets and things. And I could just slide it over the table and say, I've built this stuff. I don't know if it's relevant, but I've done some things. And luckily they quite liked that. So I could, uh, I got into this 3D metal 3D printing company. I learned about how to design for metal 3D printing. Most people don't even know metal 3D printing exists. Um, I've got some bits here. You can make amazing things. This is an alloy called Inconel. This is part okay. of a combustor for a jet turbine. Um, but all of that is one part. Normally, you'd have to machine it out of loads of little pieces and join them all together. But with metal printing, you can make these amazing alien-like shapes. So I learned to do that. And then from there, I got involved with, I kept kind of pushing rockets and, um, and saying, why don't we build rockets out of uh, metal printed copper and things like this? And I managed to get involved with a few rocket companies through that. And then I happened to be out at a, a, a metal 3D printing company in Germany uh, where I was, I was working on a rocket project. And it so happened that Richard Browning, the founder of Gravity, who had founded this a year or so earlier and started experimenting with this jet suit, was out there doing a demo flight with one of the early versions of this. And he was out there to explore what you can do with kind of 3D printing. 
and because at the time the suit was made of mostly kind of DIY store aluminium with holes um, drilled in it to make it light and it was the very early stage kind of prototype um, and he just started experimenting with with 3D printing so I happened to meet him there we walked we walked past this room and I smelt the the smell of the the engines as we walked past and I said who's in there and the guy said oh it's the the jetpack guy uh, and so uh, I managed to convince him uh, come on let's let's go in let's go in so he kind of barged in and I saw these these arm mounts on the table uh, and it was this amazing smell i'd always wanted to own a little turbine like this that you get in these little radio control planes it, it, you know at that at that age it was kind of a dream thing and i saw these on the table and there's this amazing smell there uh, and then i managed to find out who, who it actually was in the crowd of people and then kind of barged up and said hello i do all this 3d printing stuff and rockets and uh, we we spoke about 3D printing and stuff you can make for a little while, exchanged contact details. And then a couple of weeks later, I was down in Salisbury and we were experimenting with some 3D printed parts and actually uh, talking about what we could do. So at that point, it, I'd got involved about a year and a bit after he founded it. Um, and uh, from there, we started experimenting with how can we actually uh, advance the suits uh, with 3D printing and that's when we went down this whole trail of 3D printing the entire suit rather than making it out of aluminium and all this stuff but I'll, I'll get some pictures up of that in a minute I'll let you ask another question because I've rambled for a long enough now. I know I love that I mean it's really interesting to find out how that all happened it really I'm sure lots of people would love to hear about that. Describe for us your typical jet suit flight I mean you have to balance on your toes <laughs> and reach optimal power don't you how long does it take most people to take their first flight i mean can i do it can i come along and whack them on or is there a certain amount of finesse that's needed <laughs> or experience yeah. <laughs> anyone can do it really uh, it's it and it, it's quite cool in the way that when you're training it separates people from um uh who are very spatial aware and capable of picking up new skills and people who maybe have not done so much um kind of uh, physical stuff and they just take a little longer to learn it and it's not about being necessarily physically strong it's just how often you throw yourself out there and like learn to surf like it, people who are really relaxed like surfer duty attitude can yeah. just relax into it and pick it up really quickly because essentially you've got three thrust vectors one on each arm and then one on your back and as you throttle up those things are producing more and more thrust and you hold them out to your side and you don't take off until you point them downwards because if you're pointing all the thrust downwards you're going to go upwards so if you can relax into that experience of five turbojet engines starting up on your body with you know flames coming out the nozzles this amazing bah noise as if it was out of a film and the first go is always about like acclimatizing and just realizing holy crap this is all going on around me and i'm wearing five jet engines but after after that then as long as you relax into it and you don't become scared of it, scared of the forces on your body and you just kind of go for it and really kind of overcorrect. Uh, if you put one arm out this way and sh feel that, whoa, I get blown over this way. So now I know what that feels like. So if I put one in, arm in front and one behind, I'm going to spin. So it's about just throwing yourself into it and trying to learn as much as possible how the system reacts when you point your arms in different directions. So if you're really spatially aware, you'll be brilliant at it. Um, but everyone can have a go. And we've got a training rig at Goodwood and in a few other locations where people can just come for the day, put it on uh, and have a go at learning to fly, which is great because anyone can do it.
That sounds amazing. I, I'm not very spatially aware, but that sounds amazing. I would like to definitely give it a go, but I don't know how good I would be. I mean, you may. Mentioned... No, it's, it's not even about being spatially aware. It's just like it, it, it helps. But really, if you just throw yourself at it and you're willing to like have a good time and not kind of lock up and glaze over, like we have, we have a few people who like they get overwhelmed by the experience. You kind of have to go, hello, hello, <laughs> is anybody in there? Uh, but what once if, if you're present uh, and just having a great time with it, usually you pick it up really quickly. And what and, and what sort of power thrust are we talking? I mean, you mentioned there's five there. What what sort of power are we talking from each jet engine to elevate a grown adult? And are there restrictions on? I mean, you know, <laughs> is there a smallest size adult and a largest size adult? Should we say that can go in these? Is there any restrictions around that? Yeah, we can we can fly most we can fly most people really. Um, if you're massively heavy, then we have a larger suit that we're building at the moment, um, which is focused around carrying a a person with payload. For example, the paramedics mountain rescue that we're doing at the moment, they want to carry payload so they can fly up a mountain to someone who's injured themselves, land, stabilize that person with the necessary medical gear, and then they're stabilized such that they can then be lifted down the mountain. The key is getting to them quickly and providing medical assistance. So they need to be able to carry up that medical equipment with them. Um, so that's why we're building this the heavier lift suit. But yeah, anyone can really come and have a go. Uh, it, it, and in terms of power, it's it's more thrust to weight ratio than most fighter jets, really, because but all you've got to do is lift a person's weight plus a bit more. So. The normal suit would be about 140, 150 kilograms of thrust, uh, and that's enough to lift a person and the equipment with some spare. Goodness me. And how long is the flight possible for that sort of power? You know, if you're, if you're, I mean, I know it's obviously perspective of sizes and all the things, but on your average person, how, how long is the flight? Cause like when you're talking about going up mountains, I mean, that's phenomenal that you're able to do things like that, but how long can you... Well, most most of the flights we do are quite are quite short. Like when we're doing demos, it's seldom longer than a minute because you kind of fly around, you fly up to people, and then you land, stow the engines, and shake people's hands. But the the flight time, depending on how you set up set it up, is kind of anywhere between four and six minutes, which doesn't sound very long. But all of the all of the flights we've done, for example, up the mountain, we did a we did a four minute flight uh, up a mountain, um, uh, and that four minute flight would normally have taken an hour and a half to walk. Uh, and we've done another one in 90 seconds that would have been about a 25, 30 minute walk. Um, so that's the difference in response time, especially for the paramedic stuff, where if you're you know, bleeding out or something like that, we can get to you in a fraction of the time. That's, I mean, that is really impressive, isn't it? That's a, that's a real life changer. Bit but it's not something that you want to, it's not like you're going to put on a jet suit and fly across the Atlantic. It's, no. <laughs> it's you know, it's far more comfortable yeah, sitting yeah. in a reclining seat and watching a film. You don't want to be there like with your helmet on wiping flies as they go <laughs> onto your goggles. You don't want to be wiping them off if it's raining and cold. You want to be sat in a lovely seat. So it's for it's more for like short distance mobility over uh, especially terrain that you just can't pass quickly. Been any records set? What's been the longest flight? Have you know to date? Uh, I don't know about the longest flight, but the the speed record. Um, so Richard uh, broke the speed record at 85 miles an hour, 86 miles an hour, and that was down at Brighton alongside the pier. Um, we flew out. Uh, so we had a few of us take off as a kind of escort. So if you imagine uh, a pilot either side flying out and then in the middle, Richard was flying with a leg wing and the leg wing is essentially an, in kind of an inflatable ram air 
um, wing between your legs, kind of like what wingsuit skydivers wear when they do those crazy uh, proximity flying flights. Um, so what it means is you take off like this, and then as you get in more and more speed, you start to uh, you start to go horizontal into the airflow and use some of the aerodynamic lift. And it means you can actually go faster because you're pointing loads of that thrust backwards. So got to 85 miles an hour doing that uh, for a Guinness World Record. Wow. But we don't normally fly that fast. You, usually we fly, you know, quite kind of low and slow. And that's part of the, the safety approach that we have is that there's no need to go high. You could fly up to 6,000 feet if you wanted, but there's just no point. For all the stuff you need to do, if you want to, if you want to go across a, a boggy field and then a river and then sand dunes and then a boulder field, you probably need three or four different vehicles to do that. Or you yes. need to wade through the boggy field, get into a boat, go across the river, clamber across the rocks and then get something else with the sand dunes. Whereas with this, you can just fly over all of it, but you only need to be a foot above the ground to do it. Um, so we minimize risk by just flying low and not flying too fast, really. So you, with a jet suit, you can just take off, glide over all of it. You don't need to change vehicle once and land at the other end. And is that, I mean, I, I want to get more into the 3D printing because we talked a bit about that and you, you obviously focus on the design optimization of, of that. But also is that when we're saying about this, getting over terrains, different areas and mountains, is that a big driving force for this? Because that is you know, being able to get to places that other people is taking a long time to get to, emergency services, things like that. Is that a big part of the growing business? Well, when Richard started this, it was it was for the thrill of the challenge, as he puts it. So yeah. what what can you actually enable by giving the human brain with its amazing balance capability propulsion? Because if I if I if you were standing here now and I pushed you, you'd stumble and stay the right way up and you wouldn't have even thought about it. You would have just stumbled. Your legs would have gone in the right order and, and just kept you upright after stumbling. That is an amazing achievement of balance and control. So yeah. if you give that same system propulsion, now that you can fly, now possibly there is it opens up a whole new kind of capability of what a human can do. And it's what the people at Boston Dynamics are building these amazing walking robots spend all of their time doing is just trying to replicate what a human can do in terms of balance and control. So with the jet suit, it is simply augmenting the human brain and its amazing balance system with enough thrust to fly. So there was no aim of just like a, a specific niche or industry. It was just like, can you do it? Um, and he went down the route of experimenting with engines on the arms, engines on the legs, uh, different engine positions everywhere, different types of propulsion. And it got to the point where we have this arrangement now where it's two engines on each arm and, and uh, one larger engine on the rear in a backpack. And that's the most stable kind of tripod of thrust arrangement. Um, so after that, we've we've um, it's kind of become clear that there's lots of different niches that could, that can actually benefit from this and they kind of come to us because they see what we can do on social media it's like some of what we were discussing earlier where we do a lot of entertainment things like we'll turn up to an event and do a demo flight because it's quite inspiring to see as a as a child because when you see this live you get the rumble of these engines you really feel like a rocket launch in your chest as it as we fly up and then obviously you've got a person hovering back at you it's not like looking at a helicopter just a metal carcass it's you can see a person there hovering smiling back at you and then that person lands stows the engines and can shake your hand so it's much more relatable and uh, so we do a lot of entertainment stuff like social media on its own we've got loads of clips on there that, that go viral often 
um, which is not the aim of it. It's just kind of a fun aside. So there's the entertainment side of things. We we were going to do a race series just before lockdown. We were going to be in Bermuda with six of us racing around pylons over water. So it means that if, if you crash and spin out, you just land in the water, steam gets thrown up. So that would be brilliant fun. Obviously, we've paused that because of the uh, the COVID situation yeah. uh, until it's popular to bring people back together. Uh, but there's the entertainment side. We've obviously done stuff with the special forces flying from ship to ship, because normally when you move from one massive ship to another, you've got to get onto a little ship, which has to berth with the big ship. You then move across and then you go to the other ship. And it takes many minutes, if not like 20 minutes, to get from one big ship to another. Whereas with this, as long as you can see the other ship, you just take off in the air, land and you're done. Um, and then the mountain rescue again, you can fly up a mountain and stabilize someone, which is what we're exploring with the paramedics. There's loads of weird little niches that have come out of the woodwork, which we're exploring at the moment. Uh, so those are just some of them, which has been brilliant fun because that was never the, the original goal from Richard. Uh, it's it's they've just all come out of the woodwork as we've designed and productized the suit to a point where it's not a prototype. We're now working towards something that like a DJI drone that you buy, it doesn't matter how, whether you're a pilot or not, you can turn on a little camera drone with my big sausage finger. I can press the button on the top. The thing will spring into life, take off. And now I can take amazing aerial shots of my house. I didn't have to know how to pilot it. I just point it where I want it to go. So doing the same with the jet suit where it's just easy. You just put on this backpack, put your arms in here, press the go button and then off you go. That's what we're working towards. I'm sure there's going to be lots more people and opportunities and industries that are going to be like, can you do this? That's going to be exciting to watch <laughs> rest for you guys. With the 3D printing, I mean, you talked about the benefits. Is that the cost, the customization, the adapt to the jet suit, the ease of production? Is that, you know, obviously you mentioned that it can be made in one piece. Is Talk to us a bit more about that, maybe. Yeah, so people kind of varying varying knowledge levels of 3D printing and you can get anything from a little consumer printer that you sit in your house and it prints little plastic bits like this. This is 3D printed. This is a phone holder. How exciting. Uh, but simple things like that you can print on a, a home sized printer and it just allows you to suddenly create three dimensional objects to to make products that never previously existed. And you can have that for a, a couple of hundred pounds sitting in your house. It's a, I wish I had it when I was 12. When I was making rockets when I was 12, I was jigsawing pieces of oak shelf out to try and make them vaguely circular so I could make them as use them as a little bulkhead in one of my model rockets. Whereas now I can just design it on the computer, press print, and two hours later it'll be sitting there. It's so cool. So it, it's just fantastic. But that goes all the way up to professional grade printers which can print beautiful looking, um, really solid structural parts that are the size of a backpack. So because now we can make this this custom shape without having to sit there and rivet it together, we can design something where we hit print a couple of days later, it arrives um, and we can we can produce something that is, has an incredibly organic shape. It's not something that's limited by can I get the hammer in here to, to nail this in or screw this in or bolt this in. Um, and can a CNC cutter on a on a, um, a CNC machine get on the inside of an object? So imagine if you want to make a hollow object, you can't necessarily get your tooling on the inside to hollow it out. Whereas with print 3D printing, you can just create pretty much any organic alien looking shape. Uh, so that's brilliant because it means we can have very thin, lightweight structures with air flowing through them. Um, so the long and short of it is you can make these crazy looking, cool, lightweight structures if you 3D print them. So it makes sense that we design one, test it, 
and then all the little bits we don't like, we can just tweak in the design on the computer, then hit print again, and the new one comes with all the little design optimizations. And we can do that again and again and again without having to buy like a massive new injection molding tool every time we tweak the design. So that keeps us moving rapidly and, and iteratively improving the jet suit. Um, and you can do that for both polymer, plastic 3D printing, and metal stuff like these bits I'm showing you. These are metal 3D printed. Uh, this yeah. is titanium. This is an alloy called Inconel, which goes to very high temperatures. But all of this, this would normally be like 24 different parts, which you'd have to go in there and weld and bolt together. Yeah. Whereas this is just one and you can print it all in one. So it makes your assembly life much easier. And you, I mean, I'm, I'm already thinking I need to get my 12 year old son something for that, like that. If you can Absolutely do. That. So that sounds very exciting for a 12 year old boy. But also you mentioned lightweight there. Now, being, as I mentioned to you earlier, a soapbox event organizer, we know that speed, you know, someone did something quite heavy one year and without giving too many secrets away for the soapbox, light is better than heavy. What, without giving away too many of your trade secrets, what materials are used in, in a jet suit to make it lightweight but robust? Uh, we switched from nylon to, so we, we did a lot with nylon early on, uh, 3D printed nylon, and it's brilliant because it's very strong and robust. But you know those old rulers you get at school yeah. where it, you smack them against the surface and they shatter, even though they say they're shatter resistant. Nylon yeah. kind of does that when you surprise it with impact. And um, so if you if you were to have a, a, an impact like that, even if you just whack it against the table, it just goes into loads of little bits, which is not great. So now most of what we do is printed in polypropylene. We've moved as far as we can away from metal printing because it's metal printing is a lot more expensive so we just have that where it's needed in high temperature areas uh, but the uh, yeah we move mostly to polypropylene printing now because you can just bend it um and it, and you can just bend it what do i mean yeah i mean it's a lot more impact resistant so i can whack it against the table and it just takes the impact it's more it's more like on the way to being a car tire material, because we, we've always said the ideal material for the jet suit would be a car tire. You could throw that out the back of a plane at 30,000 feet, it would hit the ground, bounce, and still be a car tire. It wouldn't have broken. So that would be the ideal. So that's what polypropylene is like. It's a lot more kind of spongy and impact absorbing, um, more like kind of a human. So we want to have something that gels as closely as possible with a human and kind of morphs with them. So we've moved to a lot of polypropylene printing now. But I would say, going back to your point, is you should absolutely get your 12-year-old son a 3D printer. Like, uh, there's ones by like, uh, I shouldn't be advertising, but I think the Creality Ender is really good or something. So it just just Amazon that and you should get gonna them that. I'm going to hit you up later on Insta, definitely. I'm going to hit yeah, you up later it, without doubt. But I mean, also, yeah. you, you mentioned like, um, you know, shattering rulers or throwing tires out of moving vehicles. What, what sort of tests do you have to, you know, to alight on the perfect blend of metal and polymer? I mean, what are the sort of tests that you have to do? Uh, it, well, it's mainly down to temperature. So anything that gets very hot needs to be metal and anything that doesn't get quite as hot uh, we uh, that this is the very technical explanation. Uh, uh, everything doesn't get quite as hot. We just do plastic um, because the plastic is cheaper to to print and make and iterate. So everything that can be a lovely spongy thing that forms to the human and and if you know if you did fall over it, the impact it just absorbs. Uh, that is better. So wherever it's high temperature, metal, which is not very much now. We've got uh, this cool um, method of flowing air through the suit, so it keeps everything cooled down. Um, yeah. and and everything else is printed polymer really 
And what happens at the Goodwood facility in Chichester? Um, this is a, a design and production centre. Is that a venue for flight experience and flight training, a testing centre? What's happening yes. there? Yeah, that's flight, that's flight training and flight experience. So that's where uh, you'll go if you want to have a go at actually strapping it to you, feeling what it's like to experience the power of the jet suit. And then if you want to... Uh, you know, do do more, then you can actually stay longer rather than just experiencing it. You can learn to fly with us, which depending on it, depending on your experience and how good you are at it, it can be anywhere from like a few minutes to usually a few days or, or maybe a week it takes to get you flying. It just depends on the person, which is brilliant because you get a completely varied set of how people approach learning to fly because it's so human. It's so intuitive. It's I point the thrust where I point my arm. So yeah. It's that that's great fun, and it's at Goodwood because uh, one, it's quite noisy, and we're accompanied by you know AC cro Cobras whizzing around the track right by the training rig, and you've got Chrome Spitfires taking off over the top of you. So it's a brilliant facility for it. It sounds like a very boring job for you, Sam. <laughs> very dull and very boring and very you know not 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 fun at all remotely i mean i'm a well, we're only talking about the glamorous bits there, yeah, there's, there's lots of time where we're sitting designing you know designing things and printing it and going this doesn't this doesn't work does it uh, and then back to the drawing board but that as well is doing that isn't it as you said when you're a young boy and you're having that experience of making something and you know you you have lots of mistakes before you get the right thing and actually making something creating it and then seeing it in fruition is is an amazing thing to do to see that whole process through. What other? I mean, what are other? Um, you know, if people want to see a jet suit, maybe they, they'd like to have do some flight training. They can come along and they can check that out. But where else do you see jet suits being used? I mean, we've mentioned search and rescue, paramedics. Are there any others that you think that personally you think it might be good for? There's quite a few others that we're exploring at the moment that I don't think we're allowed to mention yet, but there's some really cool, just out, you know, niche, crazy things that you never would have imagined. Um, but the, the stuff I really like and that lots of the things that inspired me were films like, uh, you know, anything from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang to uh, to uh, how even the first Iron Man presented that first suit when they do this amazing camera revolve around him as he's testing all these lovely deployable panels going uh, yeah. in, the, in the first one. It's just fantastic. And, and things like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang have the amazing sense of theatre uh, around the mechanics of an object and how it flies. But it's all about the kind of the journey you take it on and what you go and do with it. And because of that film side that definitely did a lot of inspiring for me, I would love to do something like a Bond film or a Mission Impossible film where even if we're just bad guys with black helmets um, and you never see you never see the face or anything, but you're part of a chase scene, you know, like down the Thames in London or something to that lovely orchestra, orchestral Bond swell would be brilliant. Um, so I'd love to do a film or something. That would be amazing. I mean, I remember seeing as a very, very, you know, giving away my age here, but as a very young child, seeing Peter Pan with Bonnie Langford in the uh, London, you know, one of the London theatres. But I mean, I imagine with I saw Back to the Future recently and they'd airlifted the car up, you know, the DeLorean, which was just so impressive. But imagine maybe the things that you could do in the theatre or I mean, I've, you've probably got a bit few restrictions there with people watching as spectators, but equally outdoors and things like that. I would imagine there's lots of opportunities there, isn't there? Yeah, well, all of the events we do, like there's no restrictions on how close you can get really. Like it's best to stand five meters away. But if you were stood right in front of me now, I could hover here, like with the thrust going either side of you. So, and that's when you get that great rumble. But you mentioned Back to the Future. That was one of my absolute favorites. Um, so we did actually this. 
So this, I'm going to try and show you here if I manage to line it up. So this is flying alongside a, a real DeLorean wow. with the, the Back to the Future hoverboard Velcroed to my uh, to my boots. Uh, so we did this down at a, uh, a runway in the south of England um, at sunset. And yeah, so th th that hoverboard is just Velcroed to my boots. I'm flying the jet suit alongside the real car in this beautiful cinematic shot that we managed to get. Amazing. I definitely oh, need yeah. to talk to you about this soapbox. I have some ideas, a lot of ideas. How long <laughs> would it take um, flight training, like hours, days, weeks? Like say, if, say for example, maybe I wanted to do something. How long would it, I mean, I know obviously it's person to person, but if someone wanted to come in and experience that, is it, is it, what's the process like, the time process? Well, the best thing is to just do an experience uh, where I think you do, uh, you, you do a few goes where you just get familiar with it and like we'll do some demo flights so you'll see what it's like to to be flown and what you can do it with it when we really throw it around yeah. and then the experience is kind of the best part of it really where you actually put it on you fire the thing up um, and you you get the you know that lovely noise as it spools up the it's a, the sound the um the flames they out and nozzles you feel the thrust you feel the the power of this thing um, and then you start to experience what it's like to have the thrust on your arms and doing your first kind of hops where it goes down to moon gravity. Um, that's really the, be the best thing to start with and see, see if you like it. Um, and then from there, if you feel like it, it, you know, you can spend a few more days learning to actually control a hover and flies. It, like I say, some people get it in a few goes. Some people, it takes maybe a week um, to, to get to the point where they're doing a, a really nice stable hover and flying back and forth on the tether system. When you when you learn to fly with us, it's on a safety tether. So you have a, a tether behind you, which just means you can't fall over. Um, and so it's completely safe while you're actually learning and, and having a go and throwing it about. And is there weather restrictions as well? I imagine like, you know, certain things can't be done in like high winds or rain or snow. We, I don't know. I we've mean, actually flown in really high winds. Um, okay. It's quite cool because you just, you just, if that's flying normally, then if the wind's coming from this way at 40 miles an hour, you're just like that, but hovering <laughs> in the same place. And we're not affected by wind very much because we don't have a massive aerofoil or wing or anything like that. So we don't get blown about. We're a nice dense blob. Uh, and with rain and stuff, we can fly in in most rain that you wouldn't mind be you know being out in. When it gets really heavy, we'd probably stop. Um, but it doesn't affect the the engines really um, ingesting water, same as a you know passenger jet. Uh, and we've flown in snow as well, uh, so it doesn't really affect us. But you just want to make when you come and train, you want it to be a pleasant day. So not raining is ideal. Not raining is normally ideal, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And do you get, I mean, everyone loves a certificate. Do you get a certificate at the end of it? What do you then qualify to do once you've done your flight training? Do you guys, what, 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 would, I, what would I become? What would I be? Well, there's, it, it depends how far you want to take it. You can come and join kind of a crew of pilots who are, are, are good and, you know, properly learning to fly and be part of the race series if you really want to take it further. Okay. Um, but we have something better than a certificate. I'll keep that a secret, though, for the people who actually come and do it. But it's, yeah, it's not like a boring piece of paper. Like, yeah, I hate those. You know, it's just a fake certificate yeah. and they've printed exactly. your name on it. It's much better than that. I would like to think you could think of something a bit more imaginative than just a piece mm. of paper certificate, I would think. But yeah, what, exactly. there's an opportunity you mentioned there about taking part in a team. There's an opportunity for jet suit pilots to take part in the international race. Can you tell us a bit more about that competition? Yeah, so the race series is what I mentioned for Bermuda, and that'll be coming back live again um, yeah. when you know when we kind of deem it's it's acceptable to start doing that event again, which is looking like kind of soon. 
Um, so, yeah, the race series is where you have a load of guys and girls from different sporting backgrounds um, and any background, but it doesn't have to be sporting um, because it's amazing the group of people that this has attracted over the last few years. They have you know, anything from helicopter pilots to gymnasts to uh, Nobel Prize winners or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's just all these people that have done amazing things that come and then apply this completely different backlog of previous experiences to learning to fly a jet suit um, and so for the race series it means everyone's got a different looking suit like completely different color pattern outfit whatever and then you fly over water so that it's completely safe if you do spin out or two people kind of bump into each other you just go down into the water so there's no no danger you just go into the water you, we've got life jackets that automatically inflate the suit is neutrally buoyant anyway and uh, you then sit there in a lemon, uh, sit there like a lemon in the water floating while everyone else flies over you. And while people are flying, they're trying to get through these archways and obstacles and go up and over and round. So it, it's great fun to watch because you get the rumble as well as people fly past. It's like like F1, you get that scream as they go past. This will be this rumble of five or six pilots tearing past you. Um, and then obviously when they go down, it throws up loads of steam as the engines spool down into the water and stuff like that. Amazing. And do people get to do like tricks, like flips and things like that? Can you do all of that with your jet suit on? Uh, we've we've kind of done one flip while we were doing some uh, yeah. some testing. Um, but no, no one's really done like a free flight flip yet. Um, we're starting to do some really fun like spins and things like that now, um, now that we're kind of experimenting with it. But most of the flights we do, we'll kind of roar in and then yeah. vector towards the audience, hover there for a second, spin around and go. So it's quite dynamic flying, but we've not done a loop the loop yet. Oh, there's always time. There's always time. So are there plans to scale up the jet suit production for high volume, for commercial use? You know, what will that involve? Fuel efficiency, lightweight legislation for safe operation, I would imagine those things. But yeah, so we work, we work very closely with the, the Civil Aviation Authority uh, and the uh, in terms of production, we're still on a journey of iterating it to be the best product it can possibly be. Um, and it's not going to be like people are flying to work in these. They're very noisy, uh, but it is uh, it is something for that, especially um, close range mobility, especially with like the, the search and rescue paramedics where you need to get up a mountain and help someone. There's a lot of other cool things like that that actually help people that that we're working on. And we need the suit to be an extremely robust product that you can rely on, that you just press the big red button and off you go. And it's reliable. It tells you, OK, you need to land now because you've you've gone your distance and you're, you're low on fuel. It needs to make all of that really simple and easy. So that's our aim. Um, and that's what we're continuing to develop and suits that can lift payload and things like that. So people, if they want to, before we, we're going to get to some questions, hopefully from people asking some questions. If not, I've got some more for you, so don't worry. But is there <laughs> where, anywhere people should be going to really find out more about you? You mentioned Insta and LinkedIn. Because I'm sure there's lots of visual content that people would love to see. Yeah, follow uh, on Instagram and TikTok. It's at Take On Gravity, uh, yeah. and for LinkedIn, it's Gravity Industries. Uh, and obviously, we've got a website www.gravity.co. But Instagram and TikTok, you'll see the coolest stuff. And um, so follow on there. Amazing. At Take On Gravity. Amazing. Well, thank you for that <laughs> great chat. 